Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by John Fiorillo, Executive Editor. Hey, it was Whitefish Week this week in the seafood industry. So, whitefish uh, lumped into that is Atlantic cod, Alaska pollock, haddock, hake, farm whitefish like tilapia and pangasius. So, every year, a group of executives join together for what's called the Groundfish Forum. In the Groundfish Forum, uh, there's a lot of reasons why it's a unique event. But for one, it's only focused on one single type of, of seafood product, whitefish. And for another, you really get the absolute elite from around the globe uh, coming together, trading ideas. Uh, of course, for journalists, uh, there's lots of rumors and gossip and lots of information out there that we pick up on. And it helps us uh, get a sense of where the industry is going, who might be buying who, who might be trading and selling with who. So uh, it's always, always, always a fun week for the industry uh, and also for, for us. We always enjoy, uh, always enjoy being there. Now, one of the things that comes out every year is probably the most accurate forecast of the amount of whitefish supply that's going to be on the global market. Uh, so there's a few executives that look at all the data that's available, and there is a lot. Uh, and they analyze, crunch the numbers, do all kinds of magic to it uh, to, uh, to come up with what, uh, what, what the volumes might be. Now, bear in mind, they have to look across the globe. So you're talking about catch in Norway, in Iceland, in New Zealand, in, in uh, other countries in South America, South Africa, Namibia. It's a big job to try to track all of these uh, fish. Uh, and so uh, when you when you uh, are done with the Groundfish Forum and those numbers are released, you have a pretty good idea of what things are going to look like. And incidentally, uh, those numbers are very, very, very accurate uh, over the course of the, the past several years. So while you can't fully bank on them, uh, you can certainly get a good indication. Now, this year, the expectations are that there's going to be uh, basically more or less a pretty steady supply coming out of uh, all the world's uh, wild whitefish. Um, so while on the one hand that may seem not notable, as you drill down there's some serious variants in the, in the different species, and um, the two that are, can we say, most important um, are Alaska pollock and Atlantic cod. Now, Alaska Pollock uh, is going to hold relatively steady, it seems. Now, the quotas are not finalized for 2023, uh, certainly not for the United States. Uh, those will be finalized in December. But there is a fairly good indication that the Alaska Pollock, uh, the Alaska Pollock catch is going to be rising. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but there also is projected to be a decline in Russia. So it all kind of balances out. Now, Atlantic cod is quite a bit more complex. Uh, and it looks like there's roughly a 13.7% decline uh, projected. Now, part of that is uh, from Norway and Russia. Now, Right now, as we speak, or at least they just got done for the weekend, but uh, Norway and Russia uh, negotiators are trying to figure out uh, and hammer out what 
quota they will will catch of Atlantic cod. But one thing's for sure, it will be lower, or more than likely will be lower. Um, although, as you can imagine, there's some geopolitical um, tension there. But there's no indication that they're they're going to change roughly what they uh, what they expected. So anyway, um, a lot a lot of changes, John. Uh, so over to you. Any impressions on those numbers or just on the groundfish forum in general? What were you picking up, and what were some of the uh, the kind of driving themes that you think uh, arose in all your conversations? Well, yeah, just to put in perspective, the pod and Pollock catch in relation to the total whitefish catch uh, next year. And so together, cod and Pollock would be about 4.3 million metric tons out of a total global whitefish harvest of 6.9. So you said those two were the biggies. They are the biggies. Um, and yes, as you mentioned, it looks like the Alaska guys are going to get a little bump while the um, Pollock harvesters in Russia are going to see a little decline. It's not really going to change the overall number at all. So um, steady supply of Pollock is the first takeaway um, for next year. Uh, cod, as you mentioned, mm, uh, some problems there. I mean, first time since 2017, maybe longer, that the um, that the catch could fall below a million metric tons. So, uh, cod prices are already high. Supply is already tight. So, don't look for any relief in that sense, uh, in a big way, anyways. Uh, next year. So. I, I, those were those were the highlights. I, I overall, you know, you were in we're in a hotel lobby with, you know, the the most influential suppliers of uh, whitefish on the planet, and overall, I would say the mood was fairly upbeat. You know, prices are good, supply is fairly stable, and uh, there's concern over inflation and what that is doing to demand, but. You know, at some point, um, like if we look at if we look at Pollock, for example, a lot of it is sold through retail in fish sticks, and and that's one area where um, consumers are finding a little relief from inflation, uh, as opposed to say the fresh case or something like that. So, overall, happy, um, and I want to put in a plug for the genuine Alaska Pollock producers because they had their conference in Seattle just uh, a day or so ahead of the start of uh, the Groundfish Forum. And it is the first uh, annual conference of theirs I had ever attended. And I gotta say, it was impressive. It was professionally done. It had a lot of good information and uh, just tip of the hat to Craig and the whole the whole gap uh, crew for uh for uh putting on uh what i thought was a excellent uh conference we will we'll talk about gap in just a second because it uh, of course is focused solely on the u.s alaska pollock sector and uh there was some really interesting as you said i think uh numbers that came out that that should make the u.s industry pretty happy uh, and and uh, and we can we can uh, dive into those a little bit in this uh, in this conversation, but um, but just just quickly before we leave the groundfish forum, 
You know, a couple of things from from me that I picked up on that was a little surprising is, you know, the the Russian suppliers, suppliers of Russian product, although I don't believe there were any Russian executives, there were representatives from Russian companies, um, they were actually pretty upbeat, all things considered. Um, the the uh, investment in the fleet that's uh, brought a couple new vessels on that are able to to make uh, to process higher quality um, uh, Pollock at sea um, seems to be something that's giving people wind at their back. Um, you know, Europe uh, has not put in any restrictions on uh, on imports of Pollock or cod from Russia. And um, if Russians can bypass China to deliver what's widely considered higher quality product that doesn't go to China and get thawed and cut and refrozen, um, they have a really good shot at being a really strong competitor uh, against the Americans. Um, so that that was, uh, I guess, a little bit of a surprise. I guess they thought there would be um, a little bit more. Uh, that would be a little, a little more. Um, of, a, of a negative vibe from people that were uh, selling Russian product. Uh, but you, as you said, John, I think everyone was, was really, um, you can just see once again, um, it is post, well, I'm going to knock on wood and not say post COVID, but it is a different era, um, at least for now, where uh, people aren't, aren't worried as much about COVID. And so they can get together. They are unmasked, they're vaccinated. And it just has a completely different vibe. You know, it's, um, it's in a normal year, people may have seen each other five, six, seven different times um, before uh, a ground fish event, but you can tell people have pared back their travel and um, just generally a pretty jubilant mood and you know you have a lot of competitors there that um you know are are trying to kill each other in the marketplace um but uh, but at that at that event you know there's always kind of a uh, a different vibe about um about how uh, how they all hang together and about their their common essentially their common resource you know i think that there is also going to be uh, a lot more uh, mna that's going to happen in the whitefish sector certainly a lot uh, a lot was mentioned about that um and there's no no doubt that um that we're going to hear more about that um yeah, I think in the very near future. Um, but yeah, I think in general, it was, it was a great event. A lot of really interesting presentations uh, coming out of it. As you said, John, I think the big specter over all everyone's head is inflation with the rise of fuel prices. Uh, and then, of course, um, concerns about whether or not consumers will balk at uh, some of these prices. So over to the uh, Gap event, which, as you said, John, had some really interesting information. And I think uh, I think what makes it kind of notable, this is the second uh, event I've attended of, of Gap's their second annual event. And I think what makes it really notable is the increased transparency in the Pollock sector. Um, you did not see this even five-ish years ago. Um, the Alaska Pollock sector, a lot of those executives uh, have fishing or fishery science backgrounds. Um, these are not 
people that know a heck of a lot about marketing or communications. And they've been kind of shooting in the dark for many, many years in how they position themselves in a, uh, in a advantageous way against uh, um, the Russian industry. And they've really shifted their thinking a lot. And one of the things that they have is data and lots of it. And, you know, the, the management of the Alaska Pollock fishery uh, is very, very, very data rich. And they've got some really bright scientists that um, help manage this fishery. Um, but they haven't had a lot of market data and they haven't been transparent about uh, what's happening in their market. In large part, again, because you're talking about fishermen. They're, they're very operational. They're very focused on running these gigantic boats and keeping them uh, out there fishing. But you know, once that product hits the shore, um, yeah, they, they kind of have, they don't really know what to, to do <laughs> with it or they haven't known what to do with it. So, um, a lot of great presenters. I think one of the things that, um, that we actually are writing about is the name recognition of wild Alaska Pollock, which, uh, is essentially, um, a brand name, um, that, the group has developed to help, uh, again, distinguish itself. They did that about four uh, years ago or so, and have just repeated and repeated and repeated that to try to get it into consumers' head what it is. And they've been successful in getting people to put it on packages, uh, notably McDonald's. And so, you know, that data I thought was pretty promising for them, John, that um, that people are starting to be aware of a fish that most people had never heard of, although they had eaten a lot of it. Yeah, uh, they, there's a portion of the presentation that says, you know, in plain sight, it, the fish is out there and everybody's been eating it for sometimes their whole life in, in the form of fish sticks and what have you. So it's there, it's in plain sight, but it has no identity. And, uh, you know, one of Gap's big goals is to change that. And I think you could argue that they're well on their way of doing that. Certainly they supplied um, research from their marketing uh, research partner, Ketchum, that showed, um, showed awareness was up and things like that. Now, does that translate immediately into consumption going up? Not necessarily, but you have to build a house from the foundation up, and I think that is what we're watching here. They have also done these partnership programs and spent millions of dollars uh, doing so, and um, you know they're partnering with the biggest uh, suppliers to do promotions at um, you know Wendy's, Wendy's or some fast food chain, or you know in retail outlets and. And those are really helping extend, you know, this identity building that they're talking about. One of the speakers, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, but she mentioned the surround sound of this Pollock message. And I thought that was a very good way to put it. Like, they want this, you know, constant surround sound of wild Alaska Pollock going on through all the different channels, whether they're retail, food service, whatever it may be, consumer. Um, 
And that's what it takes, you know, that's what it takes to change it. And the other area I found fascinating, and anybody who knows me knows I love surimi seafood, but there was <laughs> there was a discussion about um, just consumer perception of sur- the, the term surimi seafood versus imitation crab. And as you might expect, although it's a lot more dramatic than I thought, very good uh, uh, perception of surimi seafood, very bad perception of imitation crabs. So uh, there was a lot of discussion about how are we finally going to deal with this and overcome this? And I found that fascinating. I put together a little article on it that will probably go up next week or whatever it may be. But, um, you know, I'm very invested in watching this because uh, I I really love the product. I always have, and I I'm sometimes flabbergasted by how it can be bigger than it is. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, you could move to Japan or France. It's very big over there. So um, okay, <laughs> if you like, hey, it's always an option. Um, yeah, it, it, it's funny because one of the, the one of the things we talked about as we were watching this i think i leaned over uh i was paying attention so don't think i wasn't paying attention but i leaned over to john and said god why has this industry allowed the plant-based sector to take over things like shrimp or scallops there are plant-based scallops plant-based shrimp that are doing great and yet here is this product that it's already all ready to be formed. It's real fish. All you got to do is drop a little flavor in there. Okay, I'm simplifying it. But all you got to do is drop some flavor in there uh, and then shape it into shrimp or scallops. I'm, I'm, again, making it sound easy. But the point being that this is, this is absolutely something that the seafood industry is missing the boat on. Um, that they need to be looking at how to make uh, make these formed products. If you go to, again, Japan, you'll see a lot more creativity, um, and uh, you'll you'll see that in some European markets as well, and and how it's used. But um, yeah, and and there was also discussion, John, correct about how maybe maybe it's more. Um, hope than expectation but some um talk that the collapse in the crab market could be good for surimi as well yeah they that was um mentioned Uh, it's hard to know if you're going to be able to translate that and do it quickly um and again when you begin to call it uh like a crab bite or something like that that's when the labeling guide or uh, regulations kick in and that imitation word has to come on the label. I don't know if it has to come on the front, but um, when you when it's um, mimicking, for lack of a better word, another seafood, uh, that's that's when you get into the labeling situation. So uh, whether that's gonna really happen i don't know but you know it opens a window and uh creative people uh more creative than i am could maybe go through there and find find an opportunity i'm not really sure 
Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. And, you know, given that there is, again, there is a lot of things in the favor of a product that you can shape and turn into something um, that uh, looks like something else. And they've already got the technology and the manufacturing set up to make uh, Surimi look somewhat crab-like. Uh, you would think maybe there would be uh, an opportunity there. I don't know. Um, yeah, so so let's talk about one other thing uh, from the event that was very interesting and uh, frankly scared the crap out of me, and that was uh, the McDonald's buyer who really gave some interesting insight about how McDonald's is thinking. Um and the majority of his presentation was about, uh, you know, the Alaska Pollock suppliers and how important they are to delivering the raw material for uh, McDonald's filet of fish sandwiches um, in the U.S. In, the, in Europe, it tends to be uh, more cod than Pollock. Um, and, you know, he talked about some of these megatrends in agriculture that, there, there was something about it. I wrote about this in a commentary that when McDonald's talks about agriculture, you're kind of you're sort of aware of the heft and the and the 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 weight of what they're saying because you uh, because you know just the size of the company, um, or at least we all have a sense of the size of the company. It's actually it's worth 183 billion dollars on the New York Stock Exchange and has revenues of uh, around $20 billion in sales. Um, and then a little research that I found was interesting is uh, around 7 million cattle are slaughtered annually to make McDonald's hamburgers. That's a lot of cattle. Um, and so the, they're so dependent on the ag industry and what is going to happen. So you don't think about um, kind of what's behind a group like that and how they plan, but the forecasting, the modeling, the research, uh, you know, the, the projections that they must have to have several years out about the ag industry. Uh, it, it just must be, must be incredible. And so I found it quite interesting that, you know, one of the things that uh, the executive mentioned was fresh water. And we all kind of know that's been an issue. It's going to be an issue. Just like so many things about climate change, you kind of, it's there, it's there, it's there. And then suddenly it's right upon you. But, um, you know, it, it really worried me that, um, that McDonald's, uh, that, that, uh, that one of their, uh, purchasing, he, he does seafood and pork and, uh, cattle and some other things, I think, but just, just the way that he framed that made me realize that, um, you know, this is, this is something that a lot of companies are already thinking about. A lot of major, uh, companies like McDonald's are thinking about and planning for, so it's not just an awareness. They're already starting to make shifts. Now, the good thing is that he uh, said, uh, and his quote was, time will be in the seafood industry's favor as a lot of the traditional land-based proteins become more challenging to raise and to feed. So it's uh, that was maybe the most hopeful kind of um, uplift there of the of uh, some of his discussions about climate. Um, John, just curious your thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I agree. The water uh, the water comment was um, it got your attention uh, because you think you think of like you said seven million 
uh, cattle. And I all have to drink water and eat uh, grass and, and stuff that uh, has to be grown in fields that are watered. So, um, yeah, it's something to think about. Now, you, you haven't touched on what he said, though. That's uh, a little more concerning about Pollock. Right. And I'm saving the best for last. Um, the best, really? <laughs> the, the, well, the best of the worst. But it, uh, it, it it's, uh, it's something that I think the industry is uh, is going to need to really address. And I've said that it's been a concern and going to be a concern for quite some time. And so for, uh, for McDonald's to raise it, I thought, should be a flashing red light for the industry. And that's, uh, he mentioned that they're seeing more challenges with nematodes, bones, and other foreign objects than we've seen in a long time. Now, Okay, bones and foreign bones. Obviously, you, you've got to try to get those out during the processing uh, of fish. Some are going to slip by, uh, and McDonald's probably has a very, very um, strict quality control uh, system where they they're going to catch all those. And a little bit of bone is is too much for McDonald's. Now, nematodes is quite different because you know, John, we've heard from people over the years, buyers and suppliers that nematodes, also called roundworms, um, are an increasing problem. Now, it gets into the flesh of fish. It's in all wild fish, but not typically in super high concentrations. Uh, and there has been some reports that, uh, you know, that there are higher, um, you know, higher volumes than there used to be. I personally have seen uh, nematodes on a lot of wild salmon in recent years. Uh, and we did a, a story on that a, a few years back. Um, you know, it's it's nothing that in the harvest can be done or in the harvest that's being done wrong. Um, but from a processing perspective, there needs to be some technology to ensure that you address that uh, best you can. Um, because it's just a, a ticking time bomb um, for... Uh, for the industry to, to get a, a, you know, a black eye like that, um, you know, and, and I think consumers understand that there are in wild fish and in anything that they eat, there's going to be bacteria and all kinds of other things. And of course there's bugs and worms. And if people don't know that when they're eating food, um, boy, they're really out of touch. Um, but then again, most consumers don't think about what they eat. So, uh, the idea of having a worm that you bite into in your filet of fish is not going to go down well. And certainly obviously a concern of McDonald's. You don't say that you don't mention uh, nematodes to an audience of Alaska Pollock executives. If you don't want them to sit up in their chairs and listen. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that is at least to me, the, spe the specificity of that is something that I think not just the Alaska Pollock industry, but Atlantic, uh, cod, uh, Pacific cod, other whitefish species in particular salmon, there needs to be some real thinking about this, uh, because, uh, if indeed the problem is getting worse, um, then that demands a solution. Um, John, what were your thoughts on what that might, what that comment might mean and, uh, whether or not the industry will do anything about it or be able to. 
Yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, like you said, I'm sure it caught the ears of all those professionals in there. And the fact that it was uttered in a public forum is, you know, it suggests that this is uh, an issue that McDonald's wants uh, uh, tended to, taken care of. And you can't blame them because you can only imagine if there's a food scare at McDonald's, somebody finds a worm, although I don't know how they would because you deep fry those. But, may, you know, somehow something happens and they want to sue or whatever. I mean, sales would obviously go down quickly and maybe come back quickly. But we have to remember that was a jack-in-the-box killed people with E. coli, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was. And, you know, they're still in business and burger sales are probably just as strong as ever. So, you know, a food scare is not the end all be all of a situation, but it's a hassle. And when it's, it's your largest customer, which I'm sure McDonald's is, um, in most cases for these companies, um, yeah, you want to, uh, you want to uh, deal with it. So, um, you know, I think you mentioned when we were at the event that, you know, global warming may be playing a part in this warmer waters is, you know, making this worse. And if that's the case, you know, we certainly need some some research in that direction. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, again, it's uh, it's it's fascinating to hear from uh from an executive that has such a, an overview of the global agriculture sector to to highlight some of the things that are concerning and uh and yeah i mean i, I think again it's one more example of how land-based proteins are i think uh going to be at a disadvantage if the seafood industry plays things right well, okay, we'll end it there, folks. Thanks for joining us. Remember that you can find more news on intrafish.com 24-7. And the best way to keep up with us is to download our app, which you can find on Google Play or on the App Store. We'll speak to you next time.